This morning, good. Thank you, Danny. Thank you. Come on, how are we doing this morning? Are we good? Yeah. Can we give a quick congratulations to Aubrey and Mateo who got engaged yesterday? I landed. I landed yesterday. Um, and uh, anyone who's trying to travel right now, LAX is a disaster. Do not do it. They're all they're under construction right now, and so when you actually come in from a domestic flight, they actually bring you into the departures of international. And then you gotta walk through the entire airport to get back to where you're supposed to be. It's the, it's the stupidest thing I've ever seen. But uh, as soon as the flight landed, I turned off airplane mode, and instantly my phone's just blowing up because they got engaged. And I was like, what? I never even knew, so crazy. Um, and I know what you're thinking. Your favorite Friedrich is back, I know, right? You're welcome, yep. And I would tell you all to, to, to wave to the cameras and say hi to Pastor Adam and Pastor Carl, but I promise you they're probably not watching. Um, and my dad told me, I'm watching the Browns game. No, you're not. The Browns game doesn't start till one, okay? Liar. Um, but I'm excited to be here. Uh, sorry, I'm chewing a cough drop right now. It's really hard to talk with it in my mouth, but my throat was starting to hurt, and so it's really awkward. Um, I'm going to chew it for a second, swallow it, so that way I can be with you, okay? Do you guys want, do you guys want to hear me chew it? Can you hear it? Okay, I can't, I can't chew any louder. Um, so I'm excited to be here. I love this place. Uh, I don't miss church a lot. It's very rare that I miss any type of service, and so when I do miss services, it feels like like something's not right, like it just doesn't feel right. And so uh, even Lisa and I were talking, uh, we're sitting on the beach on Friday, and I was like, man, I wish I was going to Elevate tonight. I was just like, I'm, I'm ready to go home and get back to normal. And uh, so I'm so glad to be here. I'm so glad to be back here. Uh, I'm, this, there's no place like Elevate. How many of you guys believe that? There's no place like this building. And uh, I'm excited. I'm honored to bring the word this morning. And we're going to continue on in our theme, Ghost Stories. I heard Brendan an amazing job last week. And the reason, yeah, the reason why I said I heard is because I didn't watch it. I told you, they're, they're not watching it. And so uh, I'll go back and watch it at some point this week. But uh, when I first heard about this theme, I was like, that's a really cool theme. And then when I heard that I was speaking at the theme, I was like, that's a really dumb theme because I had no idea what to talk about. And uh, I, took, I made a mental note in my mind. I'm like, I am not... I'm not talking about the Holy Ghost. I'm not being that cliche, and so I'm not gonna do that this morning. And, uh, and so uh, I'm believing that God has given me a word to share with you, and, uh, and I was so glad uh, when I was here two weeks ago and my dad opened up this theme, and uh, Pastor I'm kinda gave a little bit more background on this theme, because when he told me that I was speaking at it, all he said was, it's called ghost stories, nothing else. Like, no background at all. Not at all, like, this is what this theme means. And so I, I, was, I was sitting in the front row, and he starts talking about how the ghost story, we all have a ghost story, how uh, when we look how we were at a certain point, and compare it to how we are now, they shouldn't be the same, that we change, right? We have a testimony, how God's changed our lives, and that's our ghost story. And when I heard that, I was like, oh, thank God that I don't have to try to find a ghost story in the Bible because it wasn't going to happen, okay? And uh, 
But we all have a ghost story, right? And uh, I'm super excited to share this message that God's put on my heart this morning. And I believe that God is going to speak to us today. And I just got a text that they are totally watching right now. So <laughs> take a moment and wave to the cameras and say hello. Um, but I'm excited to bring this message this morning. And uh, I'd like to spend some time talking about uh, the life of King Saul. And uh, this, I want to focus on First uh, Samuel chapter 28. And uh, King Saul, he kind of has a, King Saul kind of has a bad reputation in the Bible for not being a great king and doing some stupid things. And uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit today. But um, a little bit of background of what's going on in this text is uh, Israel and Saul are about to go to war. So Saul is the king of Israel. They're about to go to war against the Philistine army. And the prophet Samuel, who is basically the, the, the communicator between God and the people of Israel and God to Saul, he has died, okay? So, so Saul's connection to God is kind of, it's gone, okay? And so, so it's, uh, the prophet Samuel has died, and so Israel and King Saul are in this hard time to where they just lost uh, the prophet Samuel and they're about to go to war, okay? And the Bible tells us that Saul sees the Philistine army and they're camping out in Shunem. In uh, verse number five, it says, when Saul saw the Philistine army, he was, he was afraid his, and terror filled his heart. He inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him. How many of you guys would say that's not good news? right? You're about to go to war, right? He's about to go to war against the Philistine army, and he asks God for help. What do I do? And God doesn't say anything. That's not a good sign, right? And, uh, and all of a sudden, God kind of cuts him off, right? And verse 7, it says that Saul said to some of his attendants, find me a woman who is a medium so that I may inquire of her, okay? And so I did a little bit of research on this, and uh, so what a medium is, is a medium is someone who communicates with spirits, using the form of witchcraft. So, okay, so weird, right? Like, you jump from two extremes, right? You're like, God shuts you out, and so you, you're like, oh, no, what do I do? I'll get a witch. Like, come on, dude, like, you know? And, uh, and so basically, this is what Saul is asking for, and what's interesting about this is that Saul had actually earlier, while he was reigning as king, he made it illegal to be a medium in Israel, and so there weren't any. And so Saul's sending out his attendants to go find someone who he should have banished out of Israel. So a little weird situation, right? And so some of Saul's attendants, they tell him, there is one place where we know one, and it's called Endor. And you guys know where my mind went when I heard Endor, and it's that Wookiees and Ewoks are biblical, okay? That's all my mind went to. Star Wars is biblical, okay? And... Uh, and so the Bible goes on to say that Saul disguises himself so that he wouldn't be recognized as who he is, and he goes and meets the witch. And I think we can kind of picture this. And, uh, you know, the only type of witch I can picture is green and stewing a, like stirring a, like a big pot. You know, like that's what I picture when I think of a witch. So you, can, like, you can see this chick sitting behind a huge pot. She's got like a huge pimple on her nose, and she's stirring this pot of stew, right? And, uh, and so she, uh, she basically goes, and she's like, so, like, so who do you want me to summon for you, you know? And, uh, and Saul goes, okay, I want you to summon uh, the prophet Samuel who had just died. And so she's like, okay. So she starts stirring the pot, whatever. And then, and then we read in verse number 13, the woman says, I see a ghostly figure coming up out of the earth. And, uh, and so I picture her freaking out. 
Because you know she's been doing this for a long time, but it's never worked. Like, you know she's never actually seen a ghost, and she's like, oh my God, it's working! And she's like, like stirring really fast, you know? And, uh, and, and Samuel comes out, and Samuel's not happy at all. Like, he, he is not happy. And Samuel tells Saul, he's like, why have you taken me from paradise? And coming back from Hawaii, my mind only thinks of Samuel's coming out, wearing a red Speedo and a robe and nothing else, right? Like, because that's all old people wear in Hawaii is red Speedos and robes. And so that's, she, that's what he's doing, right? He's coming down, coming down from a cloud. And, uh, and uh, he's like, why have you taken me from paradise? And Samuel's upset. And you can kind of picture the conversation happening. Saul's a little, kind of a little nervous and scared because he knows that Samuel's not happy. Right, and he, he doesn't know what to do, and so you can picture uh, uh, Saul being kind of like, sorry, sorry for bothering you, but I, I just, I need help, right? And he's like, we're, we're about to go to war with the Philistines, they're, they're camping out in Shunem, and, and I asked God for help, and I asked God for guidance, but God isn't answering me, and he's saying, what do I do? And I think this is something that we can all relate to in our lives. I think we've all been in a situation like this to where we're looking and we're seeing what's in front of us, but it feels like God has kind of shut us off and we're asking God, like, what do we do? But we're looking at what's in front of us and we're not getting a response. And so we find ourselves in this, what do I do moment. This is what Saul's experiencing, okay? And what makes the story interesting is how it ends. Because we like to picture God coming through in all these in, in situations like this, right? And the perfect example, and some of you, this might go right over your head, but I'm a nerd. So the perfect example is the Lord of the Rings, the two towers, when Gandalf comes riding on a white horse, but he's no longer Gandalf the Grey. He's Gandalf the White, and he's shining so bright, and the orcs are blinded by how bright he is, and they all just start running away in fear. That's what I like to picture God doing in these kind of moments, right? Like, I'm about to go to war. I don't know what I'm going to do with what's in front of me, but I just picture God riding in on his white horse, and whatever's in front of me just disappears, right? That's what we like to picture God doing for us. But this isn't what happens in this story. As we go on in verse 17, it says, The Lord has done what he predicted he would do through me. The Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hands and given it to one of your neighbors, to David, Verse 18, because you did not obey the Lord or carry out uh, his fierce wrath against the Amalekites, and we'll touch base on that in a little bit, the Lord has done this to you today. The Lord will deliver both Israel and you into the hands of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also give the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. So wh what he's saying here is you're going to lose the battle in front of you, you're going to lose the kingdom of Israel, and you and your family is going to die. That's probably not the news he was hoping to hear, right? And so, so you, you see Saul, he's coming to Samuel like, God's not helping me. I don't know what I'm going to do in this moment. And Samuel's basically like, there's nothing you can do. Your time is over. You're, you're going to die. And, and so exactly what Samuel says is going to happen actually happens. And, and the Israelites lose against the Philistines, and Saul is killed with his kids. And, and it makes me ask the question, how did it get to this? Why does this happen to Saul? And I believe that if we follow through the life of Saul, and we follow through the life of his successor, David, we can see how Saul finds himself in this situation. Can we take a look at that together? Yeah? Are you guys still with me? So Saul and David... They have a lot of similarities in their lives. The first thing we see is that they were both anointed to be king by the same prophet. 
Okay, so Samuel anointed Saul and he anointed David, right? And, and, but why was David such a more successful king? Why did he have so much more success than Saul did? Because physically, Saul fit the king mold better than David did. The Bible describes Saul as being the best looking dude in all of Israel. And in First uh, Samuel chapter nine, verse two, Kish had a son named Saul, as handsome a young man could be found in Israel, and was a head taller than anyone else. So he was big, tall, and handsome. Good combo, right? Like that's that's what you picture for a king. He's basically like the original Prince Charming. You know, like he's just he's taller than everyone, more fit than everyone better looking than every, exactly who you would think would be king, that's who Saul was, right? Saul looked like a king. And David, on the other hand, he, he didn't. David was actually overlooked. Other than, like, Saul was looked at to be king, David was overlooked to be king. And, uh, and David was smaller than his brothers, smaller than his family. He, the only thing the Bible says about his physical traits when he's anointed to be king is that he's skinny and he has red hair. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing in the Bible, because I, I don't know why they wrote that in there, but they wanted you to be sure that he was skinny and a ginch. That's what they wanted you to know, okay? So he had some freckles and, you know, and, uh, but even though Saul was more fit to be king, David had the success that Saul didn't have. Saul's physical appearance wasn't enough, right? And I'd like to take a moment to talk about this, because culture today is consumed with appearance, Right? In order to fit into society, you have to fit into this mold of a person to be successful. In order to be accepted, you have to look a certain way, you have to talk a certain way, and you have to walk a certain way. But success and appearance, they have nothing to do with each other. David wasn't the most perfect fit to be king physically, but that had nothing to do with how good of a king he could really be, right? In 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 14, it says, David had success in all of his undertakings because the Lord was with him, right? So I want to tell you that success has nothing to do with you and everything to do with who's with you. So if you follow God, success will follow you. Do you believe that? A lot of Christians are, are too afraid to say things like that because of the prosperity gospel, and you don't want to get caught up in it. But this isn't prosperity gospel. This is bi biblical truth, that if you follow God, success will follow you. We can see this in, in the life of Joseph in Genesis chapter 39. And everything that Joseph went through, which he went through a lot of things, he always found success wherever he was, right? He was his father's favorite son. And then his brothers, they sell him into, into slavery, right? He's bought by Potiphar. So now he's a slave in Potiphar's house. And we read in Genesis 39, chapter two, or verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and the Lord gave him success in everything that he did, right? And we know how the story goes, that Joseph becomes put in charge of the entire household of Potiphar. And then his wife, and Potiphar's wife tries to sleep with him, and he says, get away from me, Satan, gross, right? She was probably old, and he's like, no. And so, and so, uh, so she says, Dave, uh, Joseph tried to sleep with me. So Joseph gets thrown in prison, but then we see again in Genesis 39, verse 21, the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love, and the Lord made Joseph the favorite with the warden of the prison. And so then, next thing you know, Joseph is in charge of the whole prison, and then we read on in the story, and towards the end of chapter 39, we see that Joseph becomes a second-hand man in all of Israel. Egypt. Thank you, Brent. Handsome. Uh, and <laughs> 
second in charge. And it's because when you follow God, success follows you. It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with who's with you, right? So back to Saul and David. Saul was more physically fit to be king. And the other, the other similarity we can see between Saul and David is that they both made mistakes. Even though David had the success that Saul didn't have, doesn't mean that David didn't make the same mistakes that Saul made. And this is crazy to me because when we compare the two, if we just, if you and I, if we just look at what Saul did versus what David did, we naturally are going to think what, what David did is much worse than what Saul did. Much worse. And, uh, and so we see with Saul is that Saul let small disobedience slide. He disobeyed God with small things. But the truth is that Saul did some things right too. You know, like Saul didn't do everything bad. Saul started off really well. The Bible actually says that when Saul is anointed as king, as he's walking away from Samuel, that, that Saul is touched by God and that God gives Saul a new heart and that Saul prophesies to all the prophets in the nation and that Saul was filled with the Holy Spirit. And as I was reading that, doesn't that remind you of what happens to us when we receive Christ, that God touches us, he gives us a new heart, he fills us with his spirit? And so we see Saul experiences the same touch of God that a lot of us have, have encountered in our lives, but the problem with Saul was he had partial obedience. He had partial obedience, he didn't completely obey all of God's command. And so God commands Saul, the Israelites are going to war against the Amalekites, and God tells Saul, I want you to kill every woman, every child, every man, and every animal. All of them. I want them all gone, right? That's the command that God gives Saul. And so Saul goes to war. They kill all the women. They kill all the children. They kill all the men. But they keep the king, and they save a few lamb to offer as sacrifices to God. How many of you guys look at that and say, what's the big deal? Right? Like, what's, what's, the, what's the issue? You know, like, he, he, he did most of it, and then he took back the animals, but he was taking them back as a sacrifice to God, right? And, and I was looking at this, I was like, what's the, what's the big deal? Because David, on the other hand, David made a huge mistake, like huge, okay? And so the Bible talks about David's in the palace, and he's, he's creeping on Bathsheba taking a shower, right? He's creeping on her, dude, like, not, it's... It's not a peep show, like, it's straight creep, okay? He's like watching, <laughs> focused, right? Watching her bathe and, and, and use a loofah all over her body and it's just like, what the heck's happening? Dry off with a leaf? That's what he's watching happen, okay? And he never looks away, he's like, this is awesome. That's what, <laughs> a palace with a view, that's what he says, right? And so, so David does this and then he's like, I want that woman. Without the leaf, bring her to me. And so, so they bring the woman, and he sleeps with her, right? And then he gets her pregnant, and he's like, oh, crap, she's pregnant. Only one solution, I'll kill the husband. So he kills, he kills her husband and then takes, her, and takes the wife, right? And then, he, and then he goes and tries to cover everything up. And so now, I don't, I don't know about you, but if I were comparing the two situations, I would say that David's is a little bit worse. Wouldn't you agree? Like, man slept with her creeped on her, preg impregnated her, and then murdered her husband. <laughs> Bad news. If anything should di disqualify you as king, it's that, okay? And so this is what happens, but it still begs the question, then why did David experience the success that Saul didn't? 
Why, did, why was David such a successful king? And after reading about what David did and comparing what Saul did, it made me wonder why. Both made mistakes. But I think the difference between Saul and David wasn't the mistake that they made. It wasn't the fact that they messed up, but it was how they responded to what they did. And so as we go along in their lives, the same thing happens to both of them. They both make a mistake. And how many of you guys know when you make a mistake, you always get caught? It's true. And you can see it in every Netflix documentary about a murderer. Like, they're just like, there's no way I'm getting caught. And then you just see the street camera of them dragging the body out of the building. You're like, you're done. You're dumb. And, uh, and so, and so this, like, whenever you make a mistake, you always get caught. And so, and so this is what happens. They both make mistakes. They both get caught. And once you get caught, what happens? Someone, ta- someone approaches you about it. Someone's going to confront you about it. And we see this happen to both Saul and David. And so Samuel comes to Saul, and he exposes his sin. And so, so Saul, he disobeys the Lord's command, and the prophet Samuel goes to Saul and tells him, I know the mistake you made. I know you disobeyed God. God knows you disobeyed. And he's like, why? Why did you do that? And, and what Saul does, what Saul's reaction is, is I'm going to try and defend myself and justify what I did. That's what we see Saul do. Saul's kind of like, well, I, I didn't really do anything bad. I took some animals to sacrifice to God. It's not that big of a deal. Doesn't that sound familiar to, to things that we do all the time? Like we mess up, we do something stupid, and instead of just owning up our actions and being like, dang, dude, I'm sorry, I messed up, we're kind of like, well, it's, it's not that big of a deal. You know what I'm talking about? Like it's not that big of a deal. But when we look at David, when he's confronted about his sin, when, when Nathan comes to David, Nathan's the prophet, when Nathan comes to David and tells him, I know you've sinned, we see a completely different response with David, right? Nathan approaches David about his sin just as the prophet Samuel approaches Saul, and the prophet Nathan uh, comes to him and tells him, I know, you, I know you committed adultery, and I know you murdered. I know you did it. He just calls it out, right? And we see a different response When David is confronted, we see in Samuel chapter 12, uh, verse number 7, Nathan said to David, you are the man. This is what the Lord of God Israel says. I have anointed you king over Israel and delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master, I gave the master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. And so we, we see this whole thing play out, right? Everything that David had just done, every mistake that he just made is just right in front of him. And what does David do? In verse number 13, we see David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned against the Lord. David owns his sin and is truly broken about it. In Psalms 51, you can read, David writes a whole chapter of just him repenting to God for what he did. A whole chapter of how, God, I'm not worthy. God, I don't deserve what you've given me. I've messed up. A whole chapter of him begging for God. God, forgive me. Please don't depart from me. And we can see the difference between David and Saul. What set David up for success and what separated him from Saul is how he responded to what he did. Verse number 13, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. 
And the message I want to share with you this morning and what I believe God has revealed to me after comparing the lives of these two kings, it doesn't matter what you have done. What matters is what you do next. I believe we serve a God who likes to put the ball in your court. And what I mean by that is he wants you to make decisions. He wants you to choose what you're going to do. And so when we mess up, the ball isn't in God's court to, uh, whether what's going to happen in the future. He puts the ball in our court and makes us decide, what do you want to do about it? That's what God does, right? And this, we can see this play out in John chapter 8. The woman who's caught in the act of adultery, we all know this story, right? The most humiliating moment in this woman's life. The Pharisees are circling around her about to take her life. And Jesus kneels down next to her. In verse number 11, it says, Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. I remember reading this, reading this passage of scripture a couple years ago, and it really touched me in a way because I think it's really easy for us to get caught up in mistakes that we've made five, six, seven years ago and live in regret and shame about it. How you guys know what I'm talking about? And sometimes we can get confused about how, how are we supposed to respond to those things because God doesn't give us the ability to go back in time and remove our mistakes. I mean, you guys know what I'm talking about. When you get saved, all the mistakes you've made, they aren't completely removed from your life. You know what I'm talking about? They're still there. Like, like if you cuss your wife out on the way to church and then you come to the, off, the, the altar and repent, when you get back in the car, there's an argument coming your way, okay? I'm telling you. It's, it didn't disappear, okay? That's not how things work. And a lot of times, I think we wish we could go back in time and remove certain mistakes that we've made. How many of you guys are with me? And I'm so glad that God doesn't allow us to do that because the mistakes that we make in our lives help us get to where we are. I want, your mistakes don't define who you are, but they are a part of how you got to be the way you are. And so we see he says, go now and leave your life of sin. And I love this scripture. This scripture really touched me in a way because I was in a moment in my life where I was just, for some reason, just caught up on things I've done in the past, just stupid things. And we can all find ourselves in these situations. But I love Jesus's response to her. He says, go now and leave your life of sin. What does that mean? What Jesus is saying is move on and don't do it again. So we can get so stuck in things we've done in the past, but Jesus didn't go back in time and remove the woman's sin. He didn't tell the woman, man, you shouldn't have done that, right? He doesn't do that. She still committed adultery. She still made the same mistake. He didn't remove her past, but he told her to move on and don't do it again. And I believe that God needs to tell some of you today to move on and don't do it again. Some of us have been praying for forgiveness for the same mistake that we made eight years ago when God is just telling you to move on and don't do it again. Come on, the Bible says he takes our sins and throws them as far as the east is from the west. So a lot of times we can hold on to things that we've done, mistakes that we've made in our mind when God has already forgotten them and told us to move on. Don't waste your time trying to justify your actions and convince yourself that what you did wasn't really wrong. We see a lot of people leave church because of this. That they, come, that they experience the same thing Saul experienced. Right, Saul has a bad reputation in the Bible, but Saul started off well. When Saul first gets anointed as king, as he's walking away from Samuel, God touches his heart, gives him a brand new heart, fills him with his spirit, something similar that we all experience. But the problem is a lot of Christians, they leave that moment and they, they, they go on in their normal lives and they start letting small little disobedience slide. 
right? Just a little drink here and there. It's not that big of a deal. I'm just going to go watch this one movie. It's not that big. It's really good. Really high critic scores. I have to see it, right? Like, like we, find, we talk ourselves into it. We justify what we do. And slowly we are pulling ourselves away from God. And that's exactly what we see Saul do. He lets small little things slide. He starts to justify what he's doing, right? There's too many people that are ashamed and too many people that are embarrassed about what they've done. And so they begin to try to justify why what they did isn't that big of a deal. But I want to tell you, it doesn't matter what you've done, but what matters is what you do do next. It doesn't matter if you messed up. It doesn't matter if you made a mistake. How are you going to respond to it? David made a huge mistake, but David's success wasn't affected by what he did. His success was created by what he did next. Do you see that? Because David recognized his mistake, owned it, and moved on is exactly why David received the success that Saul didn't get. First Samuel chapter 18, verse 12, it says that Saul was afraid of David. Why? Because the Lord was with him and the Lord had departed from Saul. And then verse 14, David had success. Why? Because the Lord was with him. Because the Lord was with him. King David prayed that God, please don't remove your spirit from me. I messed up. God, please don't. I'm sorry. I know what I did was wrong, but God, I pray you wouldn't abandon me like you did Saul. And because of that, God blessed David throughout his reign. Saul started off really well being king. He experienced a very similar encounter that we experience. But the problem with Saul wasn't the mistake he made. It wasn't the disobedience. It wasn't his imperfections, but it's how he responded to them. And similar to us, we start off well. You guys know what I'm talking about. I can get the word chain to come up here. If it's short, sorry. <laughs> but similar to a lot of us, we start off well. We experience salvation. We come to God, and God touches our hearts. He gives us a brand new heart. He fills us with his spirit. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? You're on this, like, all-time high, and you think you can conquer the world, but then... How many of you guys know the next day rolls around, you go back to work around the same people, same job, same life that you had before, and things can start getting really hard. And what can happen is we can, we can allow ourselves to start allowing ourselves to slip back into however we were living before, slip back into things we were doing before, and we start to justify the actions on why they're not that big of a deal. Mistakes and failures are going to come. They're a part of life. But it's how you respond to your mistakes is what determines your future. It's how David responded to the mistake that he made. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how big of a, big of a mistake you've made. What matters is how you bounce back from it. Do you throw in the towel and just say it's over when you mess up? Do you live in denial and justify yourself to the people around you? on why what you did isn't that big of a deal. Because I think there's a lot of us in this room that can recognize that this is what we've been doing. We need to learn to recognize our mistakes and move on. Christians all begin well, right? Every, anybody that gets saved, anybody that comes to church and, and experiences a touch from God, they leave this place really, really good. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? Really yippee, I'm gonna do everything. This is gonna be, a, my life is never gonna be the same. But the truth is, if we're being honest, not a lot of Christians get to the end. Not all Christians end well. 
Matthew 10, it's he who endures to the end who will be saved. It doesn't matter how much of a touch from God you receive. It doesn't matter what the experience is like in the beginning. But are you going to endure until the end? Are you going to endure until the end? Saul didn't endure to the end. He started off well. He was physically fit to be king, more fit than anybody else in all of Israel. He got a touch from God. He started leading Israel in a very godly way. He listened to God's voice. Samuel was a spokesperson to Saul from God, and Samuel obeyed what God said to him. But over time, things started to slip. He started to allow things to slide. And then he found himself in this moment where God had abandoned him. God had rejected him as king. Not because of the mistake that he made, but how he responded to that mistake. And then we see David. David comes in not physically fit to be king. Not who you would think to be king. Be king. Overlooked. And the Bible says that as David goes through his reign, he makes a huge mistake. And it wasn't the only mistake that David made. But he makes a huge mistake. And the difference we see in their lives is how David responds. I messed up. God, forgive me. And he... Failures and regret... You've been living a life disappointed because of mistakes that you've made, because of times you've stumbled or fallen and you've done things that you know you shouldn't have, that you've been touched by God, but then you went home and you just let yourself slip. You've let yourself do some things you know you shouldn't. And so there's some of us tonight that have, or this morning have come into this room disappointed and, and, and they've kind of, they're thinking about, I'm going to throw in the towel. It's not worth it. I can't get past this. I can't, and there's no way I can ever move on from this. I want to tell you that it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't, you could have done, you could have done the worst thing imaginable. You could have made the biggest mistake, but it depends on how you respond to that mistake. Are you going to throw in the towel? Are you going to say it's not worth it? Are you going to say it's okay, it's not that big of a deal? Or are you going to come and say, God, I'm sorry. God, I made a mistake. Are you going to be able to recognize, God, I know I'm not worthy. I know I'm not worthy, God, but would you please forgive me, God? God, would you please forgive me, Lord? Come on, there's anybody in this room tonight that hasn't experienced salvation, that hasn't experienced that touch from God, and you're living a life that you know you've messed up, you know you've made mistakes, you know you've done things in your past that you're not proud of, I want to tell you today that God wants to give you a new start. God wants to give you a brand new start. God wants to touch you. God wants to fill you with his spirit. But it comes at a cost for us. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Every failure that we make without God, without the love of Christ, the consequence of our failures, the consequence of our sin is eternal death. But God came to this earth as Jesus to give us eternal life to give us a second chance. And I believe that God wants to give someone that second chance this morning. And the Bible says that there's, there's three things we have to do. The first thing we have to do is believe in our heart and believe in our mind that Jesus Christ 
came to the earth, he died on the cross, he rose again. And we have to confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord. Come on, we've all made mistakes. We've all done failures. We've all messed up. But is there anybody this morning that wants to make that decision tonight, that wants that brand new start, that, want, that wants God to touch them, that wants to experience that touch of God that, that I've been talking about this morning? If there's anybody in this room this morning, come on, would you just throw your hand up in the air right now? Don't think about it. Don't try to talk yourself out of it. Just throw your hand up. Just give it a moment. Amen. Can we all stand together? Come on, it doesn't matter what you've done in your past. It doesn't matter the mistakes you've made. But it matters on how you respond back. Come on, the ball's in your court. It's up to you what happens next. Come on, do you believe that? Yeah? Can we pray together? Oh, Father God, we come before you right now, Father God, and I pray, God, that you would help us, God. Help us be able to recognize our failures, recognize our mistakes, God, and move on, Father God. Help us to leave our life of sin and move forward, Father God. I pray, God, you would help us not live in regret and live in disappointment, Father God, but help us, Father God, not focus on what we've done, God, but focus on what we're gonna do next, God. The ball is in our court, Father God. I pray you would help us, Father God. Take that step that David took, God. Recognize the failures that we've made, Father God. Don't try to justify it, God. Don't try to prove a point, God. Don't try to make ourselves feel better, God. But that we would recognize the mistakes, God, and we would come to you and ask you for forgiveness, God. That we would take a step in the right direction, Father God. I pray for anybody in this room tonight, this morning, that's stuck in sin, Father God, that's living in disappointment, God, that's living ashamed of something they've done, God. I pray you would touch them right now, Father God. That you would lift the burden off their shoulders, Father God. That you would let them, Father God, make a decision right now, God, that I'm never going to be the same, God. I'm not doing that again. I'm not looking at that again, God. I'm not talking like that again. Help them, Father God. Pick up the ball in their court, Father God, and take the next step, God, to move forward, Father God, to move on from their past, Father God. Oh, we love you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Oh, yeah. Come on.